Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. Today we have Sheil Kapadia of The Athletic talking about all things Eagles and that fiasco on Sunday night and the future of Carson Wentz with the Philadelphia Eagles. Before that, though, wanted to quickly tell you about another ESPN podcast. As you may or may not know, the NBA season is underway, and who better to get all your insider NBA information from than the best in the business. I'm talking about Woj, Adrian, Woj, Narowski. Get the inside scoop on all the biggest NBA news as the biggest names in the game. Join ESPN's Adrian Woj, Narowski for the Woj pod, featuring in-depth conversations, breaking news reaction and analysis, and coverage of the biggest events on the NBA calendar, as well as an occasional deep dive into some of the most notable events in NBA history. If you follow Woj on Twitter, if you're an NBA fan, you know this is the person who knows more about the NBA and about what's going to happen in the NBA than anybody else on the planet. So make sure to download and subscribe to the Woj pod as well as the Bill Barnwell show. Not quite as informative, but uh, I'm working my way up to being as good as Woj is on the Bill Barnwell show. Subscribe to both of our shows on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now here's Shil Kapadia talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and what is going to happen with Carson Wentz. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. All right, joining me now, as promised here on the Bill Barnwell Show, thankfully, after several days of everybody, whether it's former players whether it's people who don't watch football, whether it's former players who don't watch football, talking about the decision of the Eagles, a bad team, to bench a quarterback who was playing poorly for another quarterback who was playing poorly. We have someone educated to talk about it. We have one of the best reporters, one of the best writers in the business, and an Eagles-focused writer, in his past at least, to talk about this very topic and what's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles. Joining us to do that, my esteemed friend, Shil Kapadia. Shil, how are you? I feel like, I don't know if this is like several years running, but I do feel like it. I know it's the end of the Eagle season when I come on and we do like an autopsy uh, every year. So, uh, so good to be here. And uh, I didn't think that this was going to lead to talking about a week 17 game, but uh, here we are. Here we are, indeed, an Eagles team that was eliminated from the postseason after a a pretty disastrous season, I would say, even maybe by bad Eagles season standards. Is that fair to say? Yeah, one I, w- I would say, yeah, one, one of the worst when you consider the short-term results, the long-term ramifications, just how boring they were on a week-to-week basis, the uh, incompetence. Oh, well, we, we have a, lo- a lot to get to, I'm sure. But yes, I, I would agree with that assessment. Okay, so let's reset the scene. If you were not watching, which is fair, it was a pretty bad game, or if you are just want, just overwhelmed with conversation about it, let's reset the scene. The Eagles are losing, I believe, the score at that time. Were they down three points in the fourth quarter? 
That's correct, I believe, yes. So they were down three points at this point in the fourth quarter. Yes, down 17-14, and they had failed on fourth and goal from the four-yard line in the the end of the third quarter. And Washington had a drive. It went on for seven plays. They punted. Nate Sudfeld came onto the field to replace Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts in this game, effective running the football, but 7 of 20 for 72 yards and an interception, a passer rating of 25.4 before he was removed from the game for Nate Sudfeld. So, Sheila, let's start with this. Were you surprised to see Nate Sudfeld get into this game? I was. I, I mean, I think there were, you know, there were obviously some reports. It seemed like during the weekend that maybe they would bring in uh, Sudfeld at some point, but I, I didn't think it was anything that was, you know, really uh, concrete or anything like that. You know, Nate Sudfeld has, has sort of been like, like an afterthought. You know, he, he's a nice guy. He gets along with everybody uh, in the locker room. I'm sure he wants a shot, but, um, you know, it took them one week in the regular season to kind of elevate Jalen Hurts ahead of him uh, to be Carson Wentz's backup. And so uh, I know they were sitting a lot of guys for that game, but I thought um, the point of kind of the last month of the season from their perspective, at least as I saw it, was to gather information on Jalen Hurts. And so uh, I was surprised that they pulled him for Nate Sudfeld. Now, at the same time, though, I remember back to the Super Bowl season, a very different era, even though it was only several years ago. And I remember the Eagles doing this with Nate Sudfeld and Nick Foles in week 17 of that season, no? Yes, that's correct. Yep, that was a, a meaningless uh, week 17. I, I'm pretty sure with that season, yeah, meaningless week 17 game uh, where they just uh, put him out there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Foles, of course, was playing poorly in that game. Not as bad as Jalen Hurts was playing in this game, but playing poorly seemed like the playoffs were a waste of time for the Eagles with Nick Foles, and then, of course, they won the Super Bowl. Um do you think they were tanking? I mean, do you think that was the primary motivator of the of the reason they brought in Sudfeld and of the broader way they approached this game on Sunday? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that was certainly a, a very big part of it. I think that would probably be the motivating factor that you looked at some of the events earlier in the day and that you could jump up three spots in draft position with a roster that has a lot of holes uh, all over the place and um, you know who knows what they're going to do whether they're going to try to take a big swing at quarterback uh, I know we'll get to that but just to kind of maximize their draft positioning uh, I do think that was the motivating factor and I, I don't think it was a decision that just Doug Peterson made during the week I'm sure it was an organizational decision with Howie Roseman with ownership maybe with other people involved that this was the route they would go. Now, do you buy the argument from Doug Peterson uh, against the other way tanking that they kept some of their stars in the game? I mean, guys like Jason Kelsey, Zach Ertz, um, who else played deep into the fourth quarter of this game? Darius Slay. Brandon Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Do you buy the idea that because they were playing deep into the fourth quarter that they weren't tanking? Uh, Not not really. I mean, you know, at some point, you know, I I forget how many players they dressed, but they already made a bunch of guys inactive for the game so at some point you look at kind of who which players you have available to you and you have to put somebody out there and and those are all guys who would really 
um, you know, kind of fit the description of guys who would just be like, uh, you know, I'm healthy, I'm playing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're not benching me. I, I want to be out there. Zach Ertz, it could have been, uh, most likely was his last game as an Eagle. Jason Kelsey, who knows, it could have been the last game of his career. He's contemplated retirement before. So uh, I don't really buy that that was, you know, evidence that they were doing everything possible to try to win the game. Okay, so if the Eagles were tanking, did it bother you personally? Did, did you feel like it was an affront to football that the Eagles were tanking in this game? Yeah, you know, this, this is like my, has been, and you alluded to it at the top, this is kind of like my issue with this discussion and why it's been like really annoying, I'm sure for many people this week, is because like it feels like you have to go to such extremes on either side of the argument with this. You know, like if you weren't expressing outrage that this is like an issue that the government should take under review <laughs> and, you know, make, make changes for the future of America, not only for the future of football, then like you weren't going far enough. And then the other edge of it was, you know, the like, all right, calm down, who cares? You do what you want for draft positioning. So uh, my take was, you know, watching live is that I understood what they were doing and I have no issue with teams uh, making decisions based on draft positioning. I just thought they did it in a very clumsy way. And there were parts of it that did annoy me about the, about the way they went about it. You know, I, if I were them, I would have just come out on Wednesday. You can say, you know what, Nate Sutfeld is going to start the second half. There are going to be younger players getting into the game. We want to get a look at them for future years. Maybe mm-hmm. it'll help them uh, get some film out there to have jobs in the NFL. Like, you know, if you would have done that, Everyone certainly would have understood. It would have been out there ahead of time, and I don't think it would have been that big of a deal. However, when you're in a competitive game and it's a three-point game and all of a sudden you take Jalen Hurts out of there, uh, now it looks a little bit fishy. And I, I think the part that you know kind of uh, annoyed me was just seeing guys like Jason Kelsey out there. You know, When I was covering the Eagles on a daily basis, like this is a guy you would see after games. I just have like a vivid picture of him at his locker, like, you know, ripping the tape off of his uh, fingers and, Mm -hmm. you know, cutting the tape off of his ankles and limping to the locker room. And, you know, he got cleated and like the the tape is bloody as he takes it off, just like a a classic guy who just, you know, is going to play through all kinds of injuries, not for better or worse, not complain about it, just like puts everything he has into it and is trying to win. And so then to watch in like the fourth quarter of what could be his last game, you know, I know he screwed up a snap and he's come out and said he's okay with it. But to watch guys like that and Ertz and Brandon Graham sort of be out there in that situation, that seemed like a little bit weird and off-putting to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I think you should have just had a better plan where you announce it ahead of time. You tell all the veterans, hey, you're coming out of the game. We're just going to give all the young guys a shot. And that would have been a better way to handle it. But to me, it was just kind of a way to cap off a season that has been clumsy from the front office to the coaching staff to the players, uh, every level of the Eagles organization, it just kind of capped it off uh, in a, you know, in sort of an annoying way. Yeah, I mean, Bo Wolf, who hosts the excellent Birds with Friends podcast, uh, wrote a feature about Jason Kelsey and following him through the entire season when it came to the injuries he had to go through for a year where he was, you know, considered relatively healthy by NFL standards. Um, in terms of the Jason Kelsey coach, do you see what Jason Kelsey came out and said today? Yes, I did. Yep. Okay. So I realized I, I probably should have realized, dude, you just referenced it a minute ago. I apologize. Um, he, uh, you know, if you, a listener hasn't uh, heard his quotes, 
basically he said, you know, he knew Nate Sudfeld was being told to be ready to play. He had complete confidence in Nate as a player. Um, he was a little surprised. He was honest about that. Um, he said, everyone did our best. And it was a difficult situation to be put into, especially when, like she'll mention, you have a 10-year veteran center who doesn't snap the ball to you accurately on your second drive of the game. I know we can win games with Nate because I know Suddy can play. Didn't work out Sunday, but as always, that's not just on him. Now, if you listen to the broadcast and maybe some of the articles we've seen after the game, it sounded like there was a 50% chance that Jason Kelsey was about to uh, just straight up physically attack Doug Peterson. And clearly, while he was surprised, it doesn't seem like that's the case based on Kelsey's quotes after the game. So, Sheil, how much of the outrage you think we saw after this game was a product of how it was being portrayed on the broadcast Sunday night? Yeah, well, they were, I thought they were being kind of weird about it. I mean, they weren't. I, I know that it seemed like they were being very careful to mm-hmm. not call it out. And then all of a sudden at the end, you know, Chris Collinsworth was just like, I, you know, I can't. Uh, I couldn't have done what the Eagles did, so then they finally uh, kind of did acknowledge it. But um, you know, you know, I, it, it certainly didn't help that it was a Sunday night game that uh, a lot of people were watching because it has it had playoff ramifications. But you know, that's not the Eagles' fault. They didn't ask to be flexed into uh, Sunday night football, and certainly if this were like a one o'clock game or something that nobody was tuning into, it probably wouldn't have uh, created the same type of outrage. So uh, I think that was a part of it. Now with the players, uh, certainly Jason Kelsey did say that, you know, other players, Miles Sanders went on the local radio uh, here in Philadelphia and kind of said he wasn't happy uh, about it. And he wasn't happy with Jalen Hurts being pulled. And I think um, there was an inquiry report by uh, Jeff McLean, I believe that said, you know, a couple defensive players were really um, annoyed by it and sort of, uh, you know, on the sideline. And so uh, I don't know that we have full clarity about what like the entire locker room thinks. And, you know, not every player is going to think about it the same way. And so, um, you know, I'm sure there were some players thinking, you know, if we're out here lining up and kind of putting our bodies on the line, we would at least like a chance to win the game. Uh, and there are probably others who thought it's fine. This is what teams do in week 17 when you put a, uh, you, you put some younger guys out there when you're not in the playoff race. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I think we always try to think about this, uh, you know, when it comes to decisions like this or how locker rooms feel, you know, I think we're always hearing people talk about, oh, this guy has lost the locker room. And the reality is locker rooms are varied places. There are different people with different opinions and someone who might be pissed about it might just be one person, might be 10 people. You know, I I really does. I think, you know, it's more varied than I think we give a locker room typically credit for. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's, you know, that, that is absolutely true. I mean, we, that, that gets thrown around all the time, but like, you know, a lot of times there are people in the locker room who don't like each other and they, yeah. you know, they're, they're able to keep to themselves and uh, still perform on a, on a winning team. So yeah, to think that everybody's going to feel the same way, uh, that would be inaccurate and misguided. Okay. So we can move on past that topic. Now I feel like it's been discussed to death. We are the last people to stomp on the body. It's done now. Another topic that has been widely discussed and I want to get your feelings on is the Carson Wentz situation. Now, let's start with the simplest question. Again, you cover the entire NFL. You look at every quarterback. You look at every player. You've also been following Carson Wentz's career over the past couple of years since returning from Seattle. In, in the range 
of Carson Wentz scenarios and the range of possible outcomes for Carson Wentz in 2020. I feel pretty confident saying that you did not expect this to happen. I don't know if anybody expected this to happen, but how surprised are you that this was in the range of possibilities for Carson Wentz that he could start the year as the unquestioned franchise quarterback of a competitive football team and end it uh, basically having stories come out where he's asking for a trade after being benched and becoming a healthy scratch in week 17. Yeah, it's stunning. I mean, I, I thought there was no way that this was going to be a possible outcome. I, I don't know how anyone could have thought it would, you know, we go back to kind of the rest of Carson Wentz's career in 2017 was obviously his best season. They go 11 and two with him as the starter. Uh, they end up winning the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And I, I think you and I have talked about this before that we didn't know if he was ever going to kind of, you know, there was kind of some outliers um, with, with his numbers there, whether you look at red zone or third down, there were some statistics that were going to be very difficult to replicate. And so you never knew if he was going to be able to kind of hit that ceiling again uh, in any individual year. But if you look at 2018 and 2019, you know, by most statistical measures, he was, uh, you know, maybe among the top 12, top yeah. 15 starters, in the NFL. And so I kind of looked at that at like, all right, that's probably, um, you know, that might be where he settles in. Maybe that'll be more towards his floor. Maybe he'll improve. Maybe he'll get a little bit worse and there'll be a season where he's 20th or 22nd in the mm -hmm. NFL. But to go from kind of that three-year body of work to being legitimately one of, if not the worst starter in the NFL this year, uh, that is an outcome that I just don't think anybody could, ha could have seen coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I talked about this with Robert Mays a little bit on the Athletic Football Show um, today, and and I, I think the combination of Carson Wentz playing as poorly as he did and Josh Allen exceeding expectations, or at least my expectations, I don't know about you, to the extent that he has, sort of makes me wonder how much we actually ever really know about quarterbacks. I mean, granted, these guys are not old, you know, they're not in their their mid thirties, but Aaron Rodgers came out and after four years of declining or five years of declining, maybe one league MVP and looked like the guy he was in 2014 and 2011 um, in his late thirties. I, you know, I've, I've sort of thought now for years about college quarterbacks that we just don't know anything when it comes to them heading into the league. But now I'm wondering how much we even know about pro quarterbacks, given how, how drastically different, the outcomes were versus expectations. I mean, do you feel like that's fair to say? Yeah, no, I think we should never be, you know, they're probably reminders that we should never be overconfident in any of our <laughs> evaluations because um, there are so many factors that play. Now I do think it's, it's part of like a bigger quarterback discussion. You know, I feel like five, 10 years ago, if you could just find a competent, if you were able to find a competent quarterback, like that had a lot of value, you know, if mm -hmm. you had a guy, who you thought could be like a top 15, top 20 guy. I mean, those guys had a lot of value, whether it was uh, on the open marketplace, whether it was in trade, trade compensation, whatever the case may be, because I do feel like the ter there were more terrible quarterbacks, <laughs> if that made sense. And, and I feel like what's happened, I don't know if it's the last five years, what the right time frame would be. I, I do want to write about this at some point, but I feel like kind of that, you know, you always want to get the, Patrick Mahomes, the Russell Wilson, well, you know, whoever else you want to throw, Aaron Rodgers, you always want to get that type of player. That mm -hmm. obviously is the goal. And, but I feel like for a while there, it was like if you didn't have Brady or Manning or Roethlisberger, you kind of just had to 
throw your hands up and you didn't really have another option. I don't think that's the case anymore, you know, and you were probably ahead of this with, with what you were writing about Jared Goff. Um, you know, I don't know if it was a couple of years ago, three years ago, whatever, but I feel like that middle tier, you know, Goff got to a Super Bowl, Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl, Ryan Tannehill j- just led one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL. And so I feel like that kind of next tier of quarterbacks is really wide now. And so you have a lot of options there to get a guy who, if you have the right scheme and the right supporting cast, you really can compete and you can win with one of those guys while still trying to find whatever the Mahomes or Wilson. And I think where you get into trouble, and this, this is what I was talking about with you, um, you know, you, you being ahead of the curve with golf there is if you're kind of paying that middle tier guy at the top of the market and they don't have that type of ceiling. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm overstating it here, but it feels like if you look at some of the teams who face questions this off season or, um, you know, might regret some of those decisions, those are the types of teams you would look at. And so uh, I think it's an interesting time for deciding what you want to do at quarterback, where if you don't have a top tier guy, there are more options. I feel like to get that next tier at a relatively lower price, maybe than there was five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of the tough part in in talking about Wentz is that, especially before the season, you know, obviously it, it's hard to talk about it now given what's happened, but heading into the season, I, I don't know about the Eagles organization, you know, that organization much better than I do, but even just based on how he played in 2018, I, I think there was a pretty significant subset of people who thought Carson Wentz was one of those, you know, tier one Patrick Mahomes level quarterbacks and just that, you know, it had to be the right situation. He had to get the right speed around him. He had to get the, um, the offensive line to be healthy. And granted he hasn't had the offensive line being healthy this year. So maybe that's a fair argument, you know, in Carson Wentz's favor, but you know, it, I, I think there are teams where if I talk to them about that theory, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of go along with it and say, yeah, that makes sense. But I think what happens is that you have so many of these organizations who spend years convincing themselves every single day that their quarterback is actually one of those tier one guys. And unfortunately, typically they're not. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, you know, I look at those guys as the ones who basically you can drop onto any roster and the team's going to make the playoffs every year. You know, they might not win the Super Bowl every year, but they will make the playoffs. And like, there aren't a lot uh, of those guys. Now I do think in that sort of middle tier that we were just talking about that, there are guys who are probably going to be kind of consistently in that middle tier. And then there are guys who are going to be mostly in that middle tier, but maybe they will have seasons that are, you know, really, uh, really impressive where you say, wow, look at these numbers. They are performing like a top level quarterback. So yeah, I think the Eagles thought viewed went that way. You know, I didn't think going into this year that he belonged in sort of that um, top category, but I certainly thought he was in the next group. And I did think he had upside if in the right situation, uh, I, I wasn't in love with their off season. I didn't think they did a, a great job with some of the decisions that they made. I questioned the moves they made uh, with the coaching staff. And I think some of those certainly contributed, but uh, at the same time, you know, the guy is in his fifth year and he played really poorly. I mean, he was, um, you know, his, his kind of maneuvering the pocket was terrible. He was very jittery. He took a lot of 
a lot of sacks where he held on to the football. He didn't see the field well. He had accuracy issues. He had fumbling issues. So, uh, you know, there, there obviously are multiple sides of it. And anytime you have a, a season where you win four games, there's going to be plenty of blame to go around from front office to coaching to the actual players. And uh, I do think that was the case with the Eagles this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the tough part, right? It's sort of isolating how much blame should go to Wentz for this decline versus Peterson versus the offensive line versus the receiving core. I mean, in years past, it, it seemed like when Wentz has struggled, that blame has gone on to other parts of the team. It's been blaming, you know, Howie for the lack of speed or blaming J.J. Arthago-Whiteside for existing and being an Eagles player or, um, you know, the offensive line for having injuries. Like, like, And those are all valid concerns, but... It, it feels like this year, whether it's been the time frame, whether it's been just how bad he's been, it feels like Wentz is getting much more of the brunt of that criticism. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, I think it's fair when you watch how he uh, played, you know, not to say that they were doing a, a bunch of things to help him, but that when there were plays to be made, uh, he didn't make them and he was producing so many negative plays. I mean, I, I just feel like he turned over the, he turned the ball over early in the season and then maybe they overcoached him and, and said, you know, be cautious. And then you could just see sort of the wheel spinning in his head. I mean, I, it was like impossible to find a play in his last few games where he wasn't hitching in the pocket. I mean, even mm-hmm. touchdowns, he would hitch like three times and then finally uh, find some guy. And so he was so unsure. He was so conservative. And I, I do think they overcoached him. And even with Hurts, you know, it was a small sample, you know, three and a half games there with Hurts. But if you want to just look at it like, uh, you know, expected points added per play or whatever, you know, with Hurts, they were much more towards the middle of the pack. They were probably around like the 19th, 20th best offense. Again, it was a small sample. But you look at that with everything else being the same, they were around the 19th and or 20th best offense compared to being like the 31st or 32nd best offense. And so, you know, I think that is another reason why you look at it and say, uh, you know, uh, definitely a chunk of the struggles certainly were attributed to Wentz uh, fairly. Mm-hmm. So now we have to talk about what happens next. And there are obviously uh, no good options, I suppose, on the table for the Philadelphia Eagles, given Carson Wentz's contract situation. But I want to talk about the possibility of trading Carson Wentz. Um, I, I've written about it. And I'm sure you've discussed it as well. I mean, the sort of difficulty in trading Carson Wentz financially, but in terms of just how you think the organization views Wentz and the likelihood of getting, or likelihood of what the Eagles would get back in return if they did trade Carson Wentz this spring. Do you think there's any appetite within the organization to do what it's going to take financially um, and to do what it's going to take in terms of accepting middling compensation in return to trade Carson Wentz? I do. I mean, I look at it, and especially with the decision to bring Doug Peterson back, and, you know, Chris Mortensen had the report that uh, their relationship is fractured. And, you know, certainly I think at a minimum, you you would say that there would be tension there and it hasn't worked out. And so, like, if I'm the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, And I look at it and say, all right, we're bringing Doug Peterson back. And so before, you know, at the end of last season, ownership, Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, they pretty much forced Doug Peterson's hand to make changes to his coaching staff. They did not like the way the offense operated in 2019. They bring in Rich Scangarello. They bring in Marty Morningweg. They bring in, you know, some other coaches on the staff and they bring those guys in and we saw what the results were. And so, 
it's not a situation where you look at it and say, well, we can keep Peterson and win and 2021 is going to be a lot different because we're going to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, you, you just tried to change the coaching staff. That was a disaster. You have the worst cap situation or one of the worst cap situations in the NFL. It's not like you're going to go out there and significantly upgrade his supporting cast. So what is your path forward to fixing Carson Wentz? And so, you know, I, I do think there's a chance they look at it that way and they look at it and say, man, we are taking uh, kind of an unprecedented dead cap money hit here for Mm -hmm. 2021. But at the same time, we're freeing ourselves up in 2022 and beyond rather than trying, trying this again, failing and then committing more money in the future. So I do think it's going to be a part of their thought process and their discussion uh, trading Carson Wentz this off season. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think would represent a fair deal given that the Eagles are not going to have much leverage given that, there are only a few teams because of the reduced cap. We're going to have the cap space in the short term to absorb Wentz's deal. There are only going to be a few teams theoretically who are interested in adding a veteran quarterback, given where they are and given who's likely to draft a quarterback in April. Um, and given that the Eagles, you know, committed to this guy and thought he was their, their franchise centerpiece and he still might be a pretty good quarterback. It might just have been one bad year. I mean, factoring all that in, what do you think a fair return would be? And what do you think uh, the sort of, you know, trade outcome for the Eagles would be in, in terms of their, what they would get back from another team? Yeah. So it is such a tough question. I mean, generally I'm sure you do the same thing, right? When, a, when you're thinking about what a player could get traded for, you look at recent comps, like, you know, I remember doing this with Yannick and Gakwe, right in the summer. All right. Well, Frank Clark went for this. B Ford mm-hmm. went for this. How does he compare to them? All right. That's probably what they're going to get. That's what front offices do. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's not just media. Like that's what they look at and that's how they have those discussions. But this is just like unprecedented. Yeah. And so you can't, you can't go back two years and say, well, you know, this happened with this quarterback. It's kind of like that. It's not like that. I mean, he, you know, a 28 year old quarterback who's $128 billion contract extension hasn't even started yet being traded. That has not had, that literally has not happened uh, in the history of the NFL. And so I look at it, it's tough because I always go back to it only takes one team. And there are teams that will say, we scouted Carson Wentz during the draft process. And they'll, they'll almost like ignore some of the stuff that has happened, I think, in the past five years. And they'll say, oh man, you know, I remember teams doing this with Sam Bradford. Like every time Sam Bradford got moved, there was like a personnel man saying, well, Mm -hmm. you know, his pro day when he was coming out, this guy was lights out. And I'm like, his pro day, he's got all this film in the NFL. What are you talking about? You got to update your, uh, update your evaluations. But like some teams do think this way. And so if you're a team and you look at it and you say, you know what, we need a quarterback for the off season that uh, I mean, for Mm -hmm. 2021, that's step number one. And you say, we believe in sort of the back of the baseball card theory. And so it was just what you and I were talking about that. Yes. Carson Wentz was terrible in 2020, but his previous three year run, he was, you know, among the top 15 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So you say, all right, if we, you know, give him better coaching, a better supporting cast, maybe he just needs a fresh start, all these different types of things. You can talk yourself into certainly him being like the 10th best quarterback for the next two seasons. Mm-hmm. And then you look at his contract. Uh, it's not nothing. I don't want to make it sound like, sound like it's nothing, but mm-hmm. if you're in the market for a quarterback this off season, you're probably going to have to pay in the market of what you're going to have to pay Carson Wentz. I mean, a new team would have to pay four years, $98 million, and only two of those 
are guaranteed mm-hmm. at about $47 million. So like that's the cost of doing business for a starting quarterback. Uh, you know, that that's outside the top 10 in terms of cap hits for the new team for the next two years. And so uh, those are all the things I think you would have to factor in. You would have to talk yourself into um, his upside a little bit, but I don't know. I would say like, is a second round pick possible? You know, is mm-hmm. that where teams meet? If you just, you know, find a team like they, I, I know they're the, a lot of teams that the times the team that everyone talks about is not the team that ends up doing the deal. But I feel mm-hmm. like in this instance, the Indianapolis Colts are the team where you say either they're going to be paying Philip Rivers, you know, 20 plus million dollars on a one year contract, or they could get Carson Wentz locked in for two years, maybe with more upside mm-hmm. and more of a future down the road. Would a team like that say, we'll give you a second round pick, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a day three pick in this year's draft, but then it's a, a conditional pick in 2022 where you mm-hmm. say, man, if Carson Wentz hits these markers in yards or they make the playoffs or he starts this many games, then you get your second round pick. Mm-hmm. But if he ends up being terrible again, or if he gets injured, you're not getting that pick. So I, I know that was like, I just talked for, it felt like a half an hour. I apologize, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it, it's a tough decision, but I, I feel like that's kind of where I settle in on with the, uh, with the compensation. No, you laid it out perfectly. I mean, there's so many factors that come into play. And I think you're 100% right in that, you know, this is how teams would think about it, but it's all going to depend on how one individual team thinks about it. And I think this isn't isn't an exact comparison by any means, but I, I think about what I was thinking about last year when it came to Nick Foles, where the Jaguars clearly were done with Nick Foles. They wanted to move on. He had, what, $20 million or so in guaranteed money left on his deal? He had a significant amount of guaranteed money left on his contract. And it the Jaguars could afford it. They could afford to pay him. They could afford to, you know, cut him or trade him. It would be a pain, but they would still be able to make it work. They weren't expecting to compete in 2020. But pretty clearly they had this player who they had given a lot of money to who was not worth the money he was being paid. And so my suspicion was that to get rid of that contract, to get another team to eat 16 or $20 million, they were going to have to attach draft pick. They were going to have to probably send, I think, a three or a four to someone else for them to eat that money. Now, as you know, not only did that not happen, but the Bears actually gave the Jaguars a fourth round pick, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, to acquire Nick Foles. Now, Nick Foles did restructure his deal, but he still has the same amount of guaranteed money just spread over multiple years now as opposed to, I think, having all of that in the 2021 season. And that did not turn out to be a great trade for the Chicago Bears by by all accounts from what we've seen so far. Um, so I guess I wonder, you know, uh, is it just that quarterbacks are different or that one team is going to have a different opinion and that they're not, you know, maybe maybe those teams aren't very good negotiators. I, just, I look at the Colts and I think Chris Ballard's pretty smart. You know, this is an organization that really values draft picks, especially mid-round draft picks, and they found a ton of talent in those mid rounds before. So I know that typically I don't think they would be willing to give up a two or a three for a player who is, whose contract is underwater the way Carson Wentz's might be, but it's also a quarterback. And I just think the rules for quarterbacks are different in the NFL than they are for any other position. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, ba- Ballard certainly wasn't afraid to make a bold move uh, last season with, uh, with the force Buckner giving up a, first round pick. So we saw that with him. I mean, I think the one thing also is that 
like never underestimate the egos of some of these uh, coaches and general managers, you know, like there, there will be teams that will say, Oh my gosh, can you believe Howie Roseman screwed that guy up? And I'm like, Tug Peterson, what was that Mickey Mouse offense they were running? Wait till have you seen Carson Wentz's highlights from 2017? Wait till we get him in the building. This guy is one of the most, you know, he's got all the tools. He's he's one of the most talented quarterbacks, and we're going to get the best out of him. Now, whether that's right or not, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, we have all heard coaches, and every offensive coach basically thinks that they're, you know, God's gift to football. And so all it takes is, uh, like you said, one or two to kind of really talk themselves into, you know, this is our best path. You look at it with free agency, you know, you assume Dak Prescott goes back to Dallas. Mm -hmm. Um, Who are the other guys? You're looking at Cam Newton and Jameis Winston and Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett. So it's not like there are a ton of great options out there. Now, now the trade market could be really interesting with a guy like Matthew Stafford. Um, You know, Jimmy Garoppolo obviously could be available, Sam Darnold. So there are like a lot of moving parts like you mentioned. And the other factor in this is financially for the Eagles right now is that if Wentz is on their roster on the third day of the league year and 15 million of his 2022 salary becomes guaranteed. Now that's something they can negotiate. Like you just mentioned with Foles, you know, if the Eagles and Wentz say, if Eagles say we we're going to trade you and Wentz says good, I want to be traded, then they can redo some of that stuff. But as it is now, like they sort of need to act really quickly to make a move like that. So um, there, there are just so many, th- so many balls in the air that them and, you know, other teams in the, in the market for a quarterback mm-hmm. will be juggling. Now we've seen Carson Wentz's camp come out and express frustration. There's been a couple of leaks about a possible trade. Um, certainly it seems like, you know, before Sunday, we saw the reports come out uh, from ESPN's Chris Mortensen about how, Carson Wentz was going to ask for a trade in the offseason and how he felt like his relationship with Doug Peterson had broken down. And I, I started thinking about what happens next because we've seen players in the past who teams didn't want to trade manage to break down their franchise enough to the point where they did get what they wanted. Jalen Ramsey, I mean, was able to push through a trade from the Jaguars to the Rams. Antonio Brown, pushed together two moves in the course of a few months, you know, obviously angered the Steelers enough to trade him to the Raiders and then did enough with the Raiders to become a free agent and then sign with the Patriots for that one brief week. Do you think Carson Wentz is willing to do enough here to make himself unwanted to the point where there are parts of the Eagles organization who might want to keep him now who could be convinced to trade him because he would be toxic for the organization? Like does Carson Wentz have that in him, you think? I don't think so. And I think it, it just feels like um, in this, like, like obviously in those situations, if Jalen Ramsey or Antonio Brown said, you know, we want to stay with our respective teams, then that would have obviously been in probably, you know, the teams would have liked that. You know, they would have been better with those players. Although obviously the, the uh, Jaguars got a great haul for Ramsey, but I feel like for the Eagles, I mean, it's a tough decision on their part. I'm not convinced that they see the path forward to success being with Carson Wentz, you know? So I don't think it's like a situation where they're saying we have 100% want this guy back. Why is he doing this? He's requesting a trade. Uh, you know, he's going to back us into a corner or anything like that. Uh, I don't think it's going to come to that at all. I think they'll have conversations with him. They'll see what the offers are. 
out there. If it feels like Wentz wants out and the Eagles feel like it's in their best interest to, uh, to trade him and move in a different direction and they get an offer that meets their demands, then they will trade him. It's hard for me to really like see what they would think their path to success would be with Peterson and Wentz going forward. Like I said earlier, I mean, I, I just don't see why they think 2021 would really change. And then there's a cash component to this. You know, we, we always talk about cap, but like just trading him, you're saving $25 million in cash mm-hmm. for 2021. And you're saving that $15 million in guarantees for 2022. So, you know, that is money that stays in the owner's pocket in the organization's pocket rather than gets paid out to a quarterback who you're not sure you have a future with. So uh, I would be surprised if it got to like that messy situation Mm -hmm. that you described. I think the Eagles will try to publicly say we are, you know, we have no interest in trading him. We're not going to trade him, but there will always be that kind of caveat there, whether it's right now or we have no intention. And in the meantime, they'll let these teams like the Colts and other teams, uh, find their, uh, see what they're going to do with their plans for quarterback. They'll mm-hmm. see what typical, what offers might be like, and then they'll make a decision from there. Mm-hmm. Now, if the relationship between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson has broken down, would it not just be easier to fire Doug Peterson than it would be to get rid of Carson Wentz? I mean, it's fair to say that even though Carson Wentz had a bad year, even ignoring what happened in the fourth quarter of week 17, it was not Doug Peterson's finest moment either. Yeah, I thought they should. I mean, I I really thought this is an opportunity for a clean break to be quite honest. And, you know, I I don't like like calling for people to uh, be fired or or whatever, but if you look at it, there has just been failures at every level. I mean, they have an old expensive and bad roster with no flexibility for 2021 uh, to, to improve the roster and through a series of decisions. And so that, um, you know, is obviously on Howie Roseman in the front office. The, co- the offensive coaching was terrible this season. I mean, I can't tell you how many games it seemed like their game plan was to run isolation routes against the opponent's best cornerback and think that their guys were going to win. And so there was the creativity you're seeing with a lot of staffs around the NFL did not make that make, make its way to the Eagles. Uh, this season. And so the coaching was not good. Now, I do think Peterson probably has more of a case where he can say, um, you know, I helped get this team, rally this team with a backup quarterback to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And I helped this team with a backup quarterback uh, win a playoff game the year after that. And even last year got him to the playoffs. So um, if anyone has like, you know, more, I don't know, rope or leverage or whatever you want to say, it might be him. Now, having said that, um, yeah, I think given the decisions they faced this offseason, it seemed to me like a good spot to kind of just move in a different direction completely and figure out what your plan is going to be going forward. But, you know, Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman gave press conferences this week. It seems like barring something completely unforeseen, both those guys are going to be back. And so uh, it does not seem like a situation where they would be kind of making a move at head coach to appease the quarterback and to be fair, you know, given how Wentz played, he probably shouldn't have the uh, leverage to make you make a head coaching move that you don't want to make um, because you really don't know what you're going to get, get from him in the future. Anyway, mm-hmm. makes total sense. Now I have to finish up by asking this Shil. you know, I'm going to have to get a number from you to finish the conversation here. What do you think is the percentage chance that in week one of the 2021 season, Carson Wentz is under center for the Philadelphia Eagles. This includes not only the possibility of him being traded, but also the possibility that Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback. So what are the chances 
Carson Wentz is the week one starter for the Philadelphia Eagles next year. Well, uh, I think I might be in the minority, but I actually think there's above a 50% chance that he gets traded. Uh, I know the hurdle. Wow. I know the, I know the financial hit, but just kind of seeing the other moves that they've made and how they might look at the next three year window or whatever the case may be. Um, and where they are in the draft, uh, I think that there's a there's a very good chance. Uh, I don't know if very good is the right word. I'll just stick with over 50% because I, I think he could come back. So now I'm deciding in that other 50% and, you know, whether uh, he's going to be the starter or not. And so mm-hmm. I would say if he's back, probably the likelihood is that they say he's back. We made changes. I don't know what those changes would be. Again, okay? <laughs> that would inspire much confidence, but maybe they just figure he, he's going to regret <laughs> regress to the mean of yeah. what he was before. And we don't have to make a lot of changes. And you know what, that, that could be the case. Who knows? Um, so I would think that they would be, they would have him as the starter if they do bring him back. And so I would say there would be like a 40% chance out of that remaining 50 that he is the, starter and so i guess i would settle on around 40 percent. honestly to me that even might feel a little bit high so well, let's call it uh 30 37 let's say a 37 percent chance that he returns and is their starter in week one next year i'm intrigued by this when you said talking about going over 50 percent, i'm like oh yeah of course over 50 percent chance that he's going to be the starter next year and then you <laughs> turned it on me i like that i was i i i i I feel like you're talking me into it the more I hear you talk about it, to be honest. Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense for me to see a trade here because I just think the guy was, you know, even if he wasn't the guy he was during his MVP caliber season, he's still pretty good probably. But I, you know, I I, I trust you over the Eagles more than I trust myself. (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know. That doesn't sound like a very good decision to uh, to me, but I... I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like we've talked about all the hurdles. Like, I don't want to make it sound like it's a really easy decision or there's definitely going to be a suitor or they're definitely going to get a second round pick. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, I'm just trying to go by what uh, what makes sense here and kind of mm-hmm. what we've seen. You know, they, they certainly could just talk themselves into him coming back and making this offseason the Carson Wentz uh, rehab project. But like you said, if they were going to do that, I would think that maybe they would have made a, a change at head coach, which they did not do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that lends me to, because I do look at it. Like if you take a big picture, look at it, what's the most likely outcome for like the next three years for Carson Wentz, regardless of where he's playing. Like I would say the most likely outcome is that he's at least like a top 20 starter. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you just look at like the big body of work here and his age and all these different types of things, And so if a team says, all right, well, we're going to go from that foundation. And we also think he has upside um, because of what we're going to do that the Eagles didn't do, Mm -hmm. then it it would just take, um, it would just take one team. So uh, I don't know that that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Makes sense. Well, if people want to see your coverage of not only the Carson Wentz situation, but all things when it comes to the NFL, where can they do that? Yep, you can check me out at The Athletic for uh, all things NFL and Eagles. And then we've got our Birds with Friends podcast with Bo Wolf and Zach Berman. And sometimes, you know, Bill Barnwell is a guest viewer and, and uh, messages us on the side, which is always uh, gives us some added credibility. Uh, so, so that is always nice. So you can check us out uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to 
find out more about the Eagles or just really more about the interpersonal relationships between three people who work <laughs> with the athletic, uh, highly recommend checking out Birds with Friends with Sheila. You know, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for hopping on. Thanks for having me, Bill. All right. Thanks as always to one of the best in the business, Sheila Kapadia of the athletic. I highly recommend checking out Shields' work on the NFL and, of course, on the Eagles as well with Birds with Friends. We have more audio coming next week. Playoffs are going to be going on. We're in the thick of the last stretch of the NFL season. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Hope you guys are staying safe and healthy and happy. And hope you guys had a happy new year as well. We have more audio coming next week.